This is The Book of Life, a podcast that uncovers life lessons from Judaism's most important book, helping you power your day with purpose. Here is Ruchi Koval. Have you ever baked a batch of chocolate chip cookies and forgotten to put in the pinch of salt? Well, I have. I figured, what could be so terrible? After all, it's only a pinch. Anyway, who wants salty cookies? Not me. Then, I tasted them. Possibly before they were baked. I'll never tell. They tasted terrible. It wasn't like I tasted them and said, gosh, these need a little more salt. I tasted them and they just tasted bad. I never noticed how important that little pinch of salt was in a recipe for sweet cookies. The Torah study path called Musser is a program of character improvement to enhance one's spirituality. In Musser, we study our own character traits and try to systematically improve them with tools like text study, peer support, meditation, and practice. Musser likewise teaches that character development is like a recipe. Every character trait, like kindness, patience, joy, generosity, is necessary in the mix. We need each of these character traits in life. We even need our negative character traits. The question is, how much of each do you need for which situation? Some recipes are sweet, like cookies. You only need a pinch of salt, but you really need that pinch. Some recipes are savory, like matzo ball soup. You'd need a good few tablespoons of salt. Meaning, even something that you might consider an unsavory trait, such as impatience, is like the salt in that it has its time and place in small proportions. For instance, we should be impatient with injustice or falsehood, but most of the time we should practice patience. Total passivity is not the goal. So, in other words, a pinch of saltiness or sauciness will improve the total flavor of the food. In the Torah this week, we learn of another recipe. This is the recipe for the sweet-smelling spices called the ketoret, and the Torah enumerates the exact recipe for this potpourri. God says to Moses, Take for yourself spices, stacti, anica, galbanum, spices, and frankincense, and make them into a spice compound, the handiwork of a perfumer, thoroughly mixed, pure, and holy. The Jews were to take some of this mix and offer it twice a day, morning and afternoon, on the golden altar in the temple. The fragrance of this burning incense represented the responsibility of the Jewish people as a whole to serve God. Just as the disparate spices come together to offer a pleasant fragrance to God, we too should come together to create positivity and pleasure. But one of the spices, galbanum, had a very pungent aroma that didn't seem to be respectable for the holy temple. Why would God want a foul-smelling spice in the ketoret mix? The lesson, though, is significant. We are supposed to mix together all of the spices, whether sweet-smelling or not. 
It was a very serious clause of the Ketoret that the recipe be followed exactly as taught, without deviating or improvising at all. It's a good thing I wasn't in charge because I consider recipes to be like a friendly suggested starting point. Then I take it in whatever direction I want. But no way with Ketoret. It was very holy and super specific. All spices must be exactly as stated, including the galbanum. The galbanum, see, with its strong odor, represents the sinners among us. Every community, every family, every congregation has those among it who do not behave as they should, who seem to bring down the collective sweetness of the whole. The lesson is that even people who are not behaving the way they should should be included in our community. The galbanum must be in the mix or the mix is invalid. So the incense really represents the concept of Jewish unity. This is a really significant value in Momentum. One of Momentum's four goals is to foster unity without uniformity. This means that there are those among us who are sweet and passive and others who are salty and outspoken. Some are quite observant and others are not at all. There are those who have a strong and abiding faith in God, and some question whether a higher power exists. Some are philanthropic, others are caught up in their own lives. Some are quite liberal and progressive in their political leanings, others are conservative and traditional. But we find ourselves together because we are a family, and family stands together no matter what. It's important to note that we don't believe in unity despite our lack of uniformity. It is specifically the lack of uniformity that makes the unity so beautiful. It's good that we're all different. We all have so much to learn from each other. Unity with uniformity is not an accomplishment at all. It's just sticking with others exactly like yourself, like living in an eternal echo chamber. Unity in the absence of uniformity is like scaling Mount Everest, or maybe more appropriately, Mount Sinai. I was once chatting with a friend whose daughter was in a prestigious all-girls private school. We were trading notes about raising daughters, and I asked her how her school handled bullies. She said, oh, there are no bullies in my daughter's school. I asked, how does the school prevent the existence of bullies? Bullies exist everywhere, even in the adult world. She answered that as soon as someone emerged as a bully, she was immediately expelled from the school. I kind of laughed because it's easy for a school to boast the absence of bullies when all the bullies are excluded from the community. To my view, a more Jewish approach would be this. Work with the bully to help them rehabilitate themselves. Try to explore the source of their bullying. Coach kids on how to relate to a bully and provide protection and consequences. But casting out everyone who has made mistakes as a non-member of your tribe seems like a too easy cleanse, especially when the school can then pride itself on the purity of its product. 
So including and dealing with the bullies is a message of the Kitoret. The incense has another application for us, too. It is considered far better to pray with a congregation in a synagogue than to pray alone. Even though sometimes a person can reach greater levels of meditation or communion alone, there is a huge spiritual benefit to praying with the community. But why? Why should God care where or with whom you pray? Shouldn't it be the prayer itself that counts? To illustrate, consider that my husband and I have seven kids. They are all so very different. Over the years, it hasn't always been easy for them to get along in light of their significant differences. And precisely because of that, when I see them supporting each other, celebrating each other, being there for one another, there is no greater pleasure for me as a parent. The differences make the unity that much more powerful. Likewise, when God sees that we, his children, bind ourselves together with our fellow congregants, whether good or bad, whether sinners or virtuous, the Torah says that he feels a tremendous amount of pleasure and nachas. And as we pray, the sinners in the congregation will be carried by the general goodness of the whole. As a community, God judges us as a whole— rather than hyper-focusing on the virtues or demerits of any one individual. In the congregation, sometimes the sinner needs you to carry her, and sometimes the sinner is you to be carried by others. Either way, the virtues of the whole will carry the sins of the individual. Now that's a recipe even I can follow. This is the Book of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Join Ruchi again next time for more meaning and inspiration from Judaism's most important book to power your day with purpose. You're listening to a Momentum Podcast. For unlimited inspiration, wisdom, and empowerment, visit MomentumUnlimited.org.